and thank all of you again for taking part in our worship service. And so I pray the Lord was uh, honored and glorified in our worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. For some reason, God has led me to preach a a number of sermons from uh, the book of James, and I just really started uh, this week. I want to share a sermon I've entitled, Distinguishing Between the Devil and the Saints. Distinguishing Between the Devils and the Saints, taken from James chapter 2, verse 19. Let's have a word of prayer before I begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity that we have now to worship you and now to open your word. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for the instructions. And Lord, that he'll give us today. Thank you for your word, your inspired word, your infallible word. We know your word is true. We know, Lord, that as we practice your word, obey your word, that it will change our life. Our life will be much better. And so, Father, I pray that we can understand that we're reading from the infallible Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. It is the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would help me this morning. Give me the the words that I'll need to, to share. Give me the Spirit to say them in. And, Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to work in our own personal lives Uh, this day. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As you open the book of James, you'll find James chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord's brother, James, is writing about those who say that they have faith, but they don't demonstrate their faith. They say they have faith, but they don't demonstrate their faith. They just say it, but it really isn't a part of their life. In verse 19, listen to what God's Word says. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Notice that. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's an an interesting statement. That's an unusual statement that he makes. He says, notice, he says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils, the the Greek word demoni, he's speaking of demons. The demons believe. Thou doest well, the demons, actual demons. The demons believe and they tremble. The demons, now, there, there are many demons there's only one devil. There's, there's, many, uh, there's many demonas, but there's only one diapolos. There's only one devil. There's only one Lucifer. There's only one Satan. And Satan presides, presides over the kingdom of the demonia. He presides over the kingdom of the demons. And he says here that they all, Satan and his demons, believe that there's one God. He says, you believe there's one God, you do well. But even Satan and his demons believe also there's one God. You see, Satan's not an atheist. Uh, the demons are not atheists. They believe that there's one God. And not only do they believe, but they, the Greek word fritzes in, 
says they tremble. English word tremble. They tremble knowing that there's only one God. They tremble. That word is also translated quaking. They, they're quaking. They're shaking. They're trembling because they know what's true. They believe and they know what's true. And because they know what's true, they're terrified. They're shaking. They're horrified. They're, they're extremely horrified. They are in, you might say, they are in agonizing fear because of what they know that's true. Now, you would think they would change. Sunday nights, Brother Mike's been teaching us uh, uh, the book of Revelation and, and coming events, things that are yet to take place. And, and what's curious in all of this that prior to the Battle of Armageddon, everything is going crazy in this old world, but people won't change. You would think the devils, knowing what they know, would change. Why, why don't they change? Isn't it strange that they won't change? But yet, isn't it strange that people who, who live criminal lives don't change after all they go through? At times, I'll, I'll flip through the channels, and I'll see this show, Criminal Files, and I'll, and I'll get interested in that, and I'll see how these criminals act and how they continue to act and act and act and they get the same results in their lives and they won't change the devils won't change devil doesn't change and and we won't change therefore it's necessary that we're able to distinguish between the devils and the saints now that's very important to those of us who are part of the church or the house of god to know the difference between the devils and the saints. See, the church is ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It is the called out, redeemed people of the Lord. That's what the church is. And so when we're called out, that means that, that we're separated from somebody else. We're called out. We're called out from the world. We're called out from those that or unbelievers, we're called out, we're separated. So it's necessary as a church that we can distinguish in this separation, that we can know the difference between demons, the devil, and the saints. And Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 15. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 15. I have several passages and I may have failed to, uh, to give these to the video guys, but if you would, Matthew chapter 15, verse 20, maybe on the screen, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're raven wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, even good trees bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit every tree that bringeth not forth good fruits hewn down and cast into the fire wherefore by their fruits you shall know them and so jesus taught us in matthew 7 15 through 20 that we that we're to be fruit inspectors we're able to do that. That's not judging someone as we would think that's condemned in God's Word. But he's telling us, you shall know them by their fruit. 
And so now fruit inspecting is very important to a church as we choose teachers and as we choose uh, deacons and as we choose leaders in our church. Because we must be able to make a distinction between the demons, the devils, and the saints. And there's a distinction there. We'll look at that in just a moment. So Jesus taught us to make this distinction, and then Paul enforced it. Look, if you will, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 14 through 18. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together. It's not talking just about marriage. He's talking about uh, in the church. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath the righteousness with unrighteousness and, and, and uh, communion hath light with darkness but what accord has Christ with Baal or what part hath he uh, that believeth with an infidel drop down to verse 19 uh, verse uh, I'm sorry verse 18 and he says uh, well look at verse 16 I'm sorry and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you're the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I'll dwell in them and walk in them and, and be their God and they'll, they'll be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. You see that? Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So the distinction between the devil and the saints, sometimes, sometimes it's obvious that distinction is obvious. Sometimes it's not obvious. First, uh, first John, I believe, chapter 2. First John chapter 2, I believe it's uh, verse 19. First John 2. Let's look at that just a moment. In verse 19, says, They went out from us, that they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. That's, just, that's real simple. That's plain. People who are not regenerated, those who are not born again, those who are not saved will soon fall away. They'll go out from us. As the church, the universal church, perhaps. So the point is, they go back into the world. Those that were with us, who were not truly saved or regenerated, they go back into the world. And that manifests the difference between the child of God and those who are unbelievers. However, you know, that's obvious when they go back into the world, but it's not always that obvious. Sometimes uh, it's not that obvious. Sometimes that line of demarcation between the devil or demons and the saints, uh, it's kind of a little, it's gray, and it's hard, to, it's hard to make a distinguishment between them. Uh, Acts chapter 8 gives an illustration of that. In Acts chapter 8, you have a guy uh, by the name of Simon, and he's a sorcerer. And uh, the Bible says that he believed. The Bible says he went another step further, and, and he was baptized. So you have someone that's believed, and you have someone that's baptized. And everything seems to be okay with Simon the sorcerer now. And when Simon saw the mighty works of the Spirit working in the life of Peter, he sought to buy with money the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh-huh. Now, that, that's where we get the word simony. Um, simony refers to buying places in the church with money. Uh, years ago, days, years and years ago, when the church, uh, the church would sell offices for money, they would sell the office of bishop for money. They'd sell the office of cardinal for, for money, and that's called simony, taken from Simon the sorcerer, wanting to buy a position, wanting the Holy Spirit and offer money to receive the gifts of the Spirit in his life. And so the church at one time had this buying ecclesiastical positions with money, and so when Simon Burgess tried to, to buy the, the Spirit's working power with money, then Simon Peter condemned him. In Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 20, listen what he says. He says, But Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. So Simon Peter really didn't know how Simon Burgess was until he tried to buy the gift of God with, with money. So sometimes it's obvious they, they come in with us, and then those who are not saved, they go out from us, speaking of the church as a whole. They go back into the world, and they live in the world. That's obvious. But then sometimes it's not so obvious. But yet, the person without Christ manifests himself or herself in some way. The point is, at times, it's hard to distinguish between the devils and the saints. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says Satan is called an angel of light. It's hard to distinguish at times. It's hard to distinguish the devil. I mean, uh, sometimes we'll see pictures of, of the devil in a, like a red suit and with a forky tail with pointed ears and with a pitchfork. That's his, that's his character that he would like for us to believe he is like. But that's not the devil. He hides his face from what he actually is to what he wants us to think that he is. He, he's an angel of light. He, he's described as an angel of light. I've, I've talked to people who've had near-death experiences, and they'll say this. They'll say, well, I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. Really? They're all the time thinking it may be the Lord. It may be the Lord, but it could be the devil. He manifests himself as an angel of light. Just thank God you was resuscitated and brought back till he, till he calls you home and you die. My goodness, spare me the light until the Lord calls me. Amen. So he's, he's brilliant. He's an angel of light. He, he's attractive. He shines. He, he, um, he persuades. And he's orthodox. He's orthodox in doctrine he, he believes the Bible. He believes the Scripture. He's sound in doctrine about God. He's sound in doctrine about Jesus. He's sound in doctrine about the Bible. Pretend with me for a moment. Mr. Devil walks down the aisle during the invitation. And I said, well, hello, how are you? And he said, I want to join this church. I said, really? He said, yeah, I, I want to join this church. Well, before you, before you come into our church family, I need to ask you some questions. First of all, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He said, I believe that. I really believe that. I certainly do. I believe that. I knew him before the foundation of the world. I knew Jesus. I knew him when he was in heaven before he was incarnate and came to the world. I knew him. Well, 
So you, you believe in Jesus? Yes. You believe in God? Yes. I believe in, I believe in God. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, do, do you believe that, that he was born of a virgin? Yeah, I, I believe he was born of a virgin. I certainly believe that. I saw him make the announcement to Mary. I saw him make the announcement to the shepherds. Be not, fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I was there. I saw that. I even saw the star there in Bethlehem. I believe, I, I know, I saw the star. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the virgin birth. Would you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes, I believe that. I really believe that. You believe he was raised from the dead? I believe he was raised from the dead. Do you believe he's coming again? Yes, I know he's coming again. I really believe that. Well, do you believe in baptism? We're a Baptist church, and we like to baptize people. Do you believe in baptism? I sure believe in baptism. I mean, I was there when John baptized Jesus in the river of Jordan. It was much water. It wasn't a cup of water. He was immersed. He wasn't sprinkled. I believe in baptism. Well, I believe you're going to make a good Baptist. Do we, have a mo do we have a rejoicing that we accept him into the fellowship of our church? If you rejoice, let it be known by a hearty amen and a round of applause. Welcome, Mr. Devil. Seems like you're going to do good here. My goodness. He believes. He's orthodox. As orthodox as he can be. And then I'll say, hey, now wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. I forgot to ask you one more question. Here's a question. Uh, devil, I mean, you've gone all over this world, and you've sown tares all over this world. You've hurt people. You've harmed people. You've broken hearts. You've broken homes. You've brought pain to a lot of people. You've destroyed people. You've destroyed their lives. Let me just ask you something. Have you repented of that? Have you turned from that? Have you been changed by the Holy Spirit of God? Do you open your heart to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you be willing to bend your knee now and confess Him not only as your Savior, but as your Lord, Kuros, the one who has all power and authority over your life? Would you be willing to do that? Now, wait a minute. I didn't know you were going to ask me that. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So when a person is regenerated, when a person is saved, when they're born again, he has a new heart, he has a new hope, he has a new disposition, he, he has a new life. He or she is somebody else. Outside they look the same, but something's changed on the inside. So the point is, you can't have the Christian faith without a changed life. You can't have the Christian faith without a changed life. No more can... I mean, you can't have the Christian faith without a changed life no more than you can have, have, have heat, have the sun, the S the S-U-N, without having energy. You can't have, you can't have salvation without a changed life no more than you can have rain without water. No more than you can have steel without iron. No more than, than you can have a man without a, a, a living soul because man is a living soul. 
So the point is, you can't be saved, regenerated. You can't be a, a redeemed child of God without a new heart, a new love, a new commitment, a new Godwardness, a new Christwardness, a new heavenwardness. You, with, without a new heart, a new love, a new commitment, without regeneration, salvation is, is impossible. You can't have it. So the point is, you may have experienced something, but if it don't have a changed life in, involved, included, then uh, you're not saved. Uh, it's not real. It's really not real. You may have had a, an intellectual experience. You know, that happens from time to time. An intellectual experience. You, you know all about the Christian belief. You, you know, people say, well, that person reads their Bible. They read it all the time. They study their Bible all the time. Uh, they must be a Christian. No, you, you can't smart your way to heaven. You may have some, Paul was an intellectual. He was a Pharisee, but above all Pharisees, if anything he knew, he knew the Word of God. He wore it on his forehead, on his arm, a phylactery with the first five books of the Torah, the law. And he could quote it, but he was lost. So you may, you know, we have professors, very intelligent, but lost. Seminary professors, no doubt, intelligent, some, but are lost. So you can be just like the devil, and you can believe it all and be lost. The point is, you can be intellectual and be lost. It's more than just intellectual assent to gain more and more and more and more knowledge. That's what the devil does. He's not saved. It's what the demons did. They're not saved. So intellectual experience is not salvation. A social experience is not salvation. John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed a group of people with some fish and some loaves of bread. And he looks at them and he says this. He said, you sought me not because of the miracles that I did, but because you did eat the loaves and you were filled. You just had a social experience with Jesus. I mean, you just have Jesus when you need Jesus. You may come to church to be with friends and, and family and have a friendship. You may come to church because of business gain. You may come to church thinking it might help your business. You may come to church thinking that, that uh, for political gain. I see on, t on TV now in the political season, I see all these people, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. That may be so. I don't know them personally. But if you think you're going to go to heaven by coming to church for political gain or social gain, you're going to miss heaven. So many today have just experienced a social experience and they've never been changed and they're lost. may have experienced an intellectual, an intellectual change, a social change. Some may have had an emotional experience. And I'm, I'm, don't misunderstand me. We need emotion in the church. We really do. We don't need to be a part of a, a dead, dry-bone, cold church. 
I love people to say amen. I love people to say hallelujah. I love people to clap. I love that. That don't bother me one bit. I think we need that in the church. You know, God's given us emotions. He's given us love. That's an emotion. He's given us patriotism. That's an emotion. However, we're not to be deceived and depend on emotions thinking that that's our salvation. That's going to get us to heaven. It's not going to get us to heaven. If you remember, Jesus rode into Jerusalem the week before, the Friday before he was crucified or went to trial and crucified, and, and they met Jesus, and they, they took their garments off, and they put him in front of his donkey to give a, a path for his donkey to walk on. They took their palm branches, and they laid them in front of him, and then they waved palm branches, and, and they said, you know, you know, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But yet, I mean, they were, they were really built up. They were really excited. You might say they were emotionally up on that day. However, the same people on Friday said, crucify him, crucify him. He has no right whatsoever to live. Because, see, emotions go up and down. You may feel saved one moment, feel lost the next. W.A. Criswell said this, and, Man, it just really spoke to me, and I'll quote. He says, if you ever tie your religious faith to emotions, it will drag you to death. Up and down, up and down. I'm saved one minute, I'm lost the next. Your feelings change. Your emotions change. Your feelings rise and fall. And so it's not a, an emotional experience. It's not an intellectual experience. It's not a social experience. And I'm going to end with this. It's not a reformational experience. Salvation is not a reformational experience. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. Listen, if you will, at verse 43. Matthew 12, verse 43, and we're going to look down to 45. It says, when the unclean spirit... Jesus tells a, dy a dynamic parable. So true. He says this, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finds none. He's not talking about the man, he's talking about the spirit. He's talking about this unclean spirit. When, when the unclean spirit's gone out of a man, the unclean spirit walks through, dry, walks through dry places seeking rest, and he finds none. Then he says, I'll return to my house whence I came out. So he's going back to the man. And when he's come, he finds it empty. He finds it swept clean. Nothing's gone in that man since the unclean spirit left. Nothing's gone in, i.e., not even the Holy Spirit centered that man. But it's clean. And then goeth he, and he taketh within himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they entered and they dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be with the wicked, this wicked generation. So here's a man with an unclean spirit. And we don't know what that unclean spirit is. It might be lust, might be profanity, it, it might be... Uh, just evil, might be badness, might be uh, drunkenness. We don't know, but he has an evil spirit. And the verse says, he's, he's saying, uh, you know, I'm going to get better. I'm going to do better. And so he, he sets a, uh, he, he makes a decision. Maybe it's uh, January 1, and, and I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm finished with it. I'm cleaning the house, pouring it all down the drain. 
Not going to gamble anymore. Not going to do any of this anymore. Got a clean house. I'll just make this resolution. I'll cast out all these evil spirits in my heart. I'm not going to curse anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do any of these bad things. I'm just going to be good. And the Bible says it works for a while, but then the spirit goes back to his old life, to the man's life, and, and he, goes, he goes out and he finds seven more spirits worse than he, and he takes them, and they all go back to the man's house, and it's been swept clean, and they all enter the man, and the Bible says that he's worse than he was before. Now, why is that? It's because he hadn't been regenerated. He'd not been changed. There was no difference in his life. His heart was empty, but he didn't fill his heart with the Spirit of God, and all those evil spirits came back into his life, and he was worse than he was before. You see, salvation is not reformation. Not an electoral, not an electoral experience, a social experience, not an electoral experience where you smart your way to heaven. It's not a social experience where you just come and have fellowship with everybody, break bread with each other, have this carnal going on. It's not an emotional experience where you, 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 you get this high. It's not a reformation experience where I'm going to do better. So what is it? Acts chapter 20, and I'm finished. Acts chapter 20. Paul talks about going through the town and... and um, how he's serving the Lord. In verse 19, he's serving the Lord. He's with a humble mind, has tears in his eyes. And you can see Paul going door to door, and, and he's going house to house. And, and verse 21 says this, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. You get that? Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. What's Christian faith? What's redemption? What's regeneration? What's salvation? Real simple. In my heart, in my heart, I've been going away from God, and then I stop, and I turn from the direction that I'm going, and as I'm turning, I'm putting my faith in the one that can make a difference in my life. And I'm turning, as I turn, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation. Nothing else, no one else but Jesus. And I'm putting all my eggs in one cart, and I'm saying, Jesus, if you, if you don't save me, I'll never be saved. And I humble my heart before Jesus. I've repented. And as I turn, now I'm facing, now I'm facing Christward. Now I'm facing Godward. Now I'm facing heavenward. I've changed my direction by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. I'm willing to bow my knee, humble my heart before God, and say, God, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, one who has all authority over my life. And as the song we used to sing, maybe we'll be singing it again before long. It's called I've Been Changed. I've been changed, I've been newborn, my life has been rearranged. What a difference it's made when the Lord came and stayed in my life. I've been changed. That's what salvation is. Not intellectual experience, social experience, emotional experience, reformational experience, but by the grace of God, through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, I've been saved, I've been changed. Let's bow our heads for prayer.
Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to look at this verse. No doubt we've come to from time to time, and we say, well, really, what does that mean? And you've shown us today, Lord, what it, what it really means. Help us to realize as, as the church, the called out ones, the called out redeemed of God, to be careful, to be able to distinguish between the demons and the saints, especially as we began to appoint leaders and deacons and teachers and those serving in the church. Help us to be careful. Sometimes it's not obvious, but, Lord, we have to be careful because later it may appear that they're really not who they say they are. So help us to be careful, Lord, to distinguish between the two. Thank you, Lord, that salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. Not by what we do, but what he did on the cross. I pray for every person here today. I don't know, some may be dependent on these things we discuss for their salvation. So today I pray, Lord, you've convicted them of that trust. And the wrong object, the object of their faith, will not get them to heaven unless it's you, O Lord, that they're willing to put their faith and trust in. Having turned from their sin and turned to you, and humbly ask you to forgive them, come into their life and save them. And Lord, we know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they'll be changed. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name.